We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Well, today we have the witty and wonderful Jessica Ellis with us, a writer-director living in Los Angeles. Jessica attended UCLA and the prestigious American Film Institute, and her debut feature, What Lies West, will be out on VOD on May 11th. A very bright light on Twitter, in addition to her sharp and often funny insights, you can also find her giving away her delectable-looking homemade pie at her handle at baddestmamajama. It is such a joy having you on the podcast today. How are you doing, and how have you been adapting to the ongoing pandemic? Oh, I'm I'm so excited to be here. Um, podcasting has become my way to interact with the world in the last right. year. It's, it's been great. And yes, I chose my Twitter handle before I understood how Twitter worked and certainly before I got any kind of following and I now feel fairly ridiculous. It was my mom's nickname for me when I was a baby. That's oh, how I picked really? my Twitter name. I yeah, love She used that. to sing because there's the song about the bad mom of pajama and she would sing it to me and, and it... I was just like, that'd be a funny, goofy name for this site I'm never going to use. And then <laughs> it became my entire life. <laughs> oh, oh, you're good. No, I love that. And I love that that's a nickname for you. So did you live up to that nickname when you were a little kid? Were you a bad mama jamma? No, I was a shockingly well-behaved child. I, awesome. I'm the youngest of five and I'm the youngest by quite a bit. My, my oldest sibling is about 16 years older than me. So like you know, when you grow up in that big of a family, like everybody is having bigger problems than you. Who's just like, can I just get a peanut butter sandwich around here? Maybe. <laughs> so like, it, I was very much like, I don't want to put any stress on these poor people. My parents, oh. like they seem to have it pretty hard. <laughs> so I tried to be, I was a very good child until my teens. And then I was very good at lying so yeah. that I would not stress them out further. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been a, a sweetheart then. So the pandemic. Has this affected your film, I'm guessing? Was it supposed to come out last summer? It was no, last, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we were just starting festivals. Okay. Um, so, you know, we were hoping for a big, healthy year of festivals that we would get to travel to and meet people. Um, and when it became evident that that was not going to happen, we did three. Um, and then we were kind of like, let's just let's just shift our focus to getting it out there because first of all, people are going to need content. We have no idea how long this thing was going to go on. And also it's just like the 
the benefit of festivals is getting to go and make contacts and talk to people and, yes. you know, see neat places and stuff like that. So it just seemed like, let's, let's stop screwing around. Cause we're not going to get to do that, that stuff. Oh, not with this one, but hopefully the next one, hopefully the next yes, one. Yes, I'm rooting for you. Well, it was so funny. We had been planning to have you on for quite some time, but wanted to make sure it's synced up with the release of what lies West. I'd been so eager to see your film since you began tweeting about it. And serendipitously after we scheduled this, I received a PR email about what lies west offering me the chance to check it out via a screening link of course i said yes and recently watched your lovely compassionate movie it is so warm and heartfelt jessica i really appreciated how at the same time it also deals with a few very real issues facing women so it's very timely as well i think and i really admired your script I know you're an award-winning screenwriter and I could definitely see why. I would love to know more about how you got the idea for What Lies West and what that process of making your first full-length film was like. Oh, thank thank you so much first of all. That's that's so generous of you to say. I'm I'm so happy when when anybody enjoys the movie. I mean, I think it should be course. obvious, but like yeah. it it means a lot every time. Um oh. But uh, I came up with the movie. I was home in Sonoma County. I grew up there. I was visiting family right at the beginning of 2017. I think it was like April. Um, I, I know I've said other months. I can't remember. It was sometime in the spring. Okay. And uh, and uh, I just thought, you know, my husband and I had been out of AFI for a while. We'd been close to getting a lot of different things made and it had never happened. And I just sort of insanely said, well, midway through a very large milkshake, let's just make a movie this summer. Let's just do it now. Let's, <laughs> why are we sitting around waiting for somebody else to let us do it? Let's get together the stuff and we'll do a really tiny movie. I think initially the idea was like, we'll do like a $40,000 micro budget, tiny yeah. movie, just so we can say we've done something. And then it sort of exploded. <laughs> so it got very big, very fast. Um, and, and the idea for the movie came from two things, just my knowledge of the Sonoma County area and how beautiful it is. And I'd always wanted to shoot something that's so beautiful. Yeah. Yes. That took advantage. It's a very popular film location, but a lot of the movies I had seen there didn't really capture what the County looks like from a local perspective. Okay. So there was that I wanted to shoot something that was largely outdoors. Um, and then I had these two actresses. Um, uh, Nicolette Ellis and, and Chloe Moore, and I knew them both um, and knew they know each other. And I knew they had a really interesting chemistry together and were really fun to just watch talk to each other. And, oh. and so I started building the film around what a, a funny version of their relationship would be. Oh, and cool. that's kind of how it came about. Yeah, Nicolette looks so much like you. Yes, she's my niece. They're both my nieces. Oh, they're both your nieces? They are. Yeah, Chloe that. looks nothing like me, and Nicolette looks like she could be my my daughter at this point. I know. At first, I'm like, wait a sec, that's not Jessica's. And then I'm like, is it her younger sister? No, I don't know. Yes. So that yeah, we have really two. Cool. We have a blonde line of people in my family and a dark line of people in my family, and they all look. It, it's just very two distinct groups. Um, and Chloe is blonde type, but Nicolette and I definitely, definitely look related. <laughs> oh, that's great! So raising the money, how difficult was that? 
Well, um, it was difficult. Well, we had an advantage in that we had been saving for a long time. So we were able to just raid (laughs) our savings thing, which was not the best thing to do with a global pandemic around the corner, but we didn't know that at the time. Of course. Um, Yes. So, so a good chunk of it was just our money that we had squirreled away. Um, a little tiny bits of it came as investments from relatives and stuff, but like, oh, you know, like a thousand dollars or something like that. We were not, we do not have parents that gave us, you know, mm-hmm. $20,000 or anything yeah. like that. Um, and then the rest was crowdfunding. Uh, and that was a very large undertaking um, because oh, I had somewhat of a Twitter presence. It, you know, yeah. it was, that was my life for a month and a half was just begging <laughs> begging for money every day on Twitter, which is rather humbling and very tiring. I bet. Yes. Oh, well, you feel like a jerk, you know, you just feel like, (laughs) Oh God, how have these people not unfollowed me? Um, And now they're in for it again, as we lead up to this movie coming out, I'm not asking for money, but I'm asking them to buy something now. (laughs) Yes. Buy it on VOD, everyone. See, I'll do it. There. Yeah, there we so, go. This so you is, feel this a little is my less. secret plan. Yeah. Yes, of course. Well, What Lies West fits perfectly with the theme you selected for the episode today of Summer Adventures. I've been especially looking forward to discussing the films you chose as well, including Dirty Dancing, Now and Then, and The Way, Way Back, because they're not only perfect for this time of year when the weather starts warming back up in the United States, but also they're if not full-on comedies then at least all have fun feel good comedic elements because very often on this podcast I discuss heavy dramas excellent movies yes but intense flicks so this was really good obviously we'll go deeper into the movies in a minute and feel free to link them to what lies west because I know everyone will want to know if they were influences of course but before we begin I would love to know what is it about these summary coming of age movies that you feel so inspired by both as a writer director and also as a film fan? Well, it's something that um, really became meaningful to me while I was making What Lies West because I was watching all these movies. And I began to realize there's there's two types of teenage movies. There's school movies, which are about your persona in society and, you know, stuff (laughs) like prom and relationships. And and like, it's a very, they're about social growth, but summer movies are about personal growth because you're freed from so many of the social structures that you're trapped in during the school year. It's, it's those movies that really focus on getting to know yourself and exploring the odd things about yourself that you'd never like yeah. bring up in school would never be a, a factor in that world. So I just, I just started to realize there's this whole genre of beautiful films about personal exploration that's linked to a season, linked to a very specific time True. in your life. Um, and, and really got fascinated by that as a little subgenre. So I thought it would be fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I really responded to in your movie is we're dealing with exploration at a few different age groups too. Yeah, yeah, teenage, post college, and uh, middle age uh, as well. So I love that. That's a really clever idea and a, a nice link. I've- well, every you know, you never stop growing. Yes, you never absolutely. stop going through the the same journey of of learning new stuff about yourself. So it was important for me to link the three. Yeah even though they're all about separate issues, but it's all women moving through a a growth period in their life. 
Yes. Well, we should probably mention that when we discuss these movies, we might get into occasional spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen one of the films being discussed, you might want to go ahead and check it out first and or proceed with caution. Taking these movies chronologically, we're starting with the most famous of the three, Dirty Dancing from 1987, a smash success, this blockbuster movie written by Eleanor Bergstein and directed by Emil Artelino has been passed down from one generation to the next since its release, which is fitting because it's a timeless generational mashup of the 60s and the 80s as it stands. Opening in the summer of 1963, we meet Frances Baby Houseman, played by Jennifer Grey, who in the summer before college vacations with her older sister and parents at an upscale Catskills resort. Once there, she falls under the spell of the professional dancers on staff and as a conscientious, progressive minded young woman with dreams of joining the Peace Corps, she gets involved in helping one beautiful dancer obtain an abortion. And in training to take her place that day for a performance, she starts to fall in love with a handsome, wildly charismatic bad boy, Johnny, played by Patrick Swayze, featuring an outstanding but admittedly unusual soundtrack of both 60s era songs, as well as some 80s covers of classics and a few originals, including I've Had the Time of My Life. It's a fast-paced, entertaining movie that continues to play like gangbusters. What's your take, Jessica, on Dirty Dancing and this memorable summer adventure? Oh, I mean, you know, it's one of the greatest summer movies ever, really ever is. made. Really, <laughs> like, and it's one that it was. It used to be on TV essentially twenty four hours a day. Yes, uh, you could always watch Dirty Dancing. So it's one of those ones you sort of absorb into your bloodstream, I think, and, <laughs> and it lives inside you. But you know, it's a it's a romance at heart, but it deals with some real stuff. The abortion yes. element is so interesting. The class issues in it are really fascinating and it was a great it there was an odd thing in the 80s where we were making teen movies set in the 60s presumably because the 40 year old writers were 20 <laughs> in the True. 60s yeah. you know because we had stand by me as well which did the exact same thing oh, um great and so too. it's always interesting to see adults processing their their youth and i believe this was a largely autobiographical yes. movie Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you can feel it. It feels romantic in the right ways and it feels dangerous in the right ways. And it really is a testament. It feels very authentic while still being like a studio film. Yes. Um, and so it's just a, it's just a perfect example of a summer adventure movie. It's just a girl finding out stuff about herself by experiencing things in a place she's not normally at. Yes. Do you remember the first time you saw it? I don't. I mean, because for okay. a long time, I don't think my parents would let me see it. <laughs> me, me too. I was going to talk about that. Yeah. But I, I would catch parts of it on like USA. For some reason, I would always come in on the scene where she carries the watermelon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every I, time. It's so funny. Whenever somebody talks about Dirty Dancing, the first quote, I think I even tweeted that most recently was, I carried a watermelon. Yeah. Because that seems to be like every starting point or the most memorable early thing that happened. But I had the same thing. My mom actually worked in a library in the late 80s, and she would bring home videos as soon as they got them in. And my parents were pretty liberal. Like they showed us everything way too much too early. But for some reason we started that and we had other people over. 
I don't know if it was her friends or what the deal was, but we started it. And it was then, I think, embarrassing because we had people who weren't in the family there watching it with like the little kids. So they forbid us from being in the room. And the weirdest thing is it also happened with Ghost. So there was something about Patrick Swayze being too sexy. I don't know. Patrick Swayze be, was too sexy. He, he really was. Ultimately was. too sexy for this yes. world, I think. Yeah. So it's really weird. Like I grew up on, you know, De Niro movies and people doing horrible things in films, but it took until high school to see like dirty dancing and ghosts. Not that they really forbid it, but finally it was like, ah, it's on. I'm seeking it out. So it was really strange for some reason. It's yeah, it's Swayze, I guess. The power of Swayze. It is. It's the power of Swayze. And, you know, it is that I can definitely understand adults being like, do I want to see my 12-year-old <laughs> my to see a movie romanticizing losing your virginity to a 23-year-old dancer? Like, yes. Probably not the best. And it's also just awkward. Like, watching sex scenes with your parents, I it, still need to get up and go get popcorn when that happens. And I'm I nearly know. 40. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Over the uh, weekend, actually, a friend on Twitter was talking about cocktail tale and I remembered watching that with my grandma like she loved Tom Cruise we had no idea really what it was and so we watched it on video together that was like the most awkward (laughs) thing ever I'm kind of scarred for life on cocktail but yeah so 30 dancing had that whole thing it was it was very uncomfortable for sure but it's such a good movie and it's perfect for summer because before I even saw this film I knew the soundtrack by like heart sure. because my whole family drove from Minnesota where I'm from Minneapolis area all the way to like California. And it took forever. And the whole way I remember we played like the good morning Vietnam soundtrack and then the dirty dancing soundtrack. So I like knew these forwards and backwards. So it was really cool to see. That's this. Amazing. Well, I mean, those are both great soundtracks. So yeah, the, but do definitely. A, do you have a favorite song or moment with music in this movie? Oh gosh. I don't, I mean, uh, I don't know the music that perfectly. I, I, I mean, you, you can't beat the time of your life. It is, it's, yeah. it's the song it is for, I know that's a cliche answer, but you, you just can't. It's iconic. Yes. Yeah. It's, and you want desperately to dance to it. Um, I loved when they did um, Crazy Stupid Love that they referenced the whole dance. Yeah, that was at the hilarious. end of that and with with uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, like because yeah. it just shows you like how in the zeitgeist that scene and that song are that they just are constant references that everybody's going to immediately get. Yeah, speaking of in the zeitgeist, I don't know why I totally forgot that Robbie, the horrible horrible waiter was a fan of Ayn Rand. I don't know why I forgot that. And now it's like become a thing where it's like, ooh, he reads Ayn Rand, you know, like stay away, red flag. It's like, yep, this movie was ahead of its time. It was a very smart lady writer. uh, Of course, then we did not get 1400 other movies from, which we should have. Yes. Uh, But yeah, no, right. Like like I said, like the class dynamics in it are, are quite fascinating and how baby is presented as like a, a kind of a white woman liberal who wants to fix everything, but that doesn't yeah. really understand it. But she's also like 17. So yeah, you know, know, like you can't you can't hold her too accountable. But yeah, it still has some very modern resonance to class issues. Yeah. Have you seen um It's My Turn by the same screenwriter? I haven't. 
Okay, that's a really good one. It was Claudia, I want to say Wheel, while I might be mispronouncing that, I apologize. And it's Michael Douglas and Jill Clayberg. So it's kind of one of those sort of a prickly romantic comedy. Like it's not too cutesy. There's some rough around the edges stuff, which is makes it a little bit more interesting, I think. So yeah. Mm, I have to check writer. that out. Yeah. And I guess she wrote like some erotic dance scene for that movie and they pulled it. They were like, no. And <laughs> that's what inspired this. So it's kind of like, I guess, not the prequel, but you know, the seed of the idea was. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, okay. I got to seek that out now. That sounds amazing. I just saw it for the first time last year. And I think it was for the same reasons. I was looking up Eleanor Bergstein was like, why didn't we get more from this woman? Yeah. Man, why don't we ever? That's so true. Yes. Well, next we have a film with a whole lot of female star power both in front of and behind the camera now and then released in the fall of 1995. It was produced by Demi Moore and Suzanne Todd directed by the talented Leslie Linka Glotter and written by I Marlene King, another female coming of age story set in the past and extended flashbacks to 1970, but bookended with contemporary events It chronicles a pivotal summer for four Indiana adolescent girls as they discover the truth about their families, town, boys, and themselves. Coming back together in 1995 for the impending birth of the baby of one friend, a homemaker played by Rita Wilson, sci-fi author Demi Moore, Hollywood actress Melanie Griffith, and gynecologist Rosie O'Donnell reminisce about the directions they've taken since that summer. But while those outstanding women are only in the film for a fraction of its running time to me, now and then's real stars and the heart of its storyline are perfectly brought to life by the quartet of young actresses, uh, Gabby Hoffman, Christina Ricci, Thora Birch, and Ashley Aston Moore, who play the women as girls. I confess, I felt a little old for this one when it was uh, in release back in 95 at the theater. But while I like it more today, especially those remarkable girls, I still feel it's a little episodic, but it's been great seeing it inspire a new generation of fans over time. It's become something of a cult classic. So what are your thoughts on Now and Then? Now and Then is such an interesting film because it's one of the only films that tried to do what Stand By Me did for girls. Um, And it got panned. I I mean, I think it has something like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert hated it. Um, And, and, you know, his critiques of the script are not bad. Like the book ending with the modern stuff. I don't know if that was necessary. But like, if you were a girl of a certain age, I was, I think, 13 when it came out. Okay. This was your sleepover movie. In <laughs> fact, my friends and I used to have sleepovers specifically to watch this movie over oh, and really? over again. Oh, I love that. Um, and I have found anytime I've brought it up on Twitter or anywhere, this whole collection of women that are now in their 30s that have such an attachment to this movie That's that was cool. so dismissed. Yeah. And it deals with real stuff. I mean, one of the girl's mothers has passed away or had, had yes. died, and she's trying to come to terms with that. There's an amazing scene where they run into Brendan Fraser as a oh, Vietnam I loved it. Yeah. vet that is just like a st- – you're right. It is episodic. It's like these little mm-hmm. bits of this yeah. girl, these girls' summer. But um, 
you know, again, you have a story that is trying to deal with real stuff that young girls are trying to process that was totally dismissed by critics, just not interested in the in the same critics who adore Stand By Me. That's <laughs> so I've always found that contrast really, really interesting between between particularly those films, but just in the way that girl adventure, particularly girl adventure films are looked at as they are dismissed kind of as chiclet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's why this film came to mind. And it's just fun. I mean, they're out, they're riding their bikes, they're exploring, they're taunting boys. Like, they're having a great summer, and it's really pretty fun to watch, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And you're right about Stand By Me. The other thing that it reminded me of is how popular um, The Wonder Years was for yes. this whole era. And that was, you know, I mean, we did have Danica uh, Keller, who is great, but it was mainly about Kevin and the way he viewed everything. So it's really a novelty to have it from a female's perspective. Yeah. Cause yeah. girls aren't really allowed to have adventures, at least culturally speaking in our movies and stuff. That's not, we're not really interested in girls until they're old enough to be sexualized, True. you know? Um, and before that, they're just there and being annoying in most yeah. movies. So <laughs> it's gr- it was great to get a movie about girls doing stuff. Very true. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And the cast, my goodness. Oh, like, my. I mean, you couldn't even, pack this thing with more talent. Yeah, the supporting players are so great. I mean, Brendan Fraser, he brought up. That is such a moving scene, I thought. Really yeah, and good. Janine Garofalo is in there as like a yes. very creepy waitress, like a yeah. goth waitress. And, and you know, like Gabby Hoffman has been 40 since she was nine. And she, she really has. She was, she, I thought, phenomenal. Yeah. She's amazing. I love Thora Birch's like command of how precociously uh, sexy that little girl tries to be and how silly yeah. it looks. Like you have to have a mature understanding of what you're doing to pull that off. And that that was a really good performance as well. I mean, yeah, it yeah. was just a, a a pack of brilliant actresses. I know. And Christina Ricci, I mean, what a moving arc for her character as she finds the truth out about how her mother died in an automobile yeah. accident. And then they uncover this harrowing story about this old man from the town and the trauma he had been through. I mean, all of that stuff was just really spectacularly, I thought, emotional and something you don't see much in coming of age movies, especially for girls. Very much. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, again, it, it deals with the realities of coming to terms with the world and, and how that informs who you become. And also shout out to Devin Sawa. This was peak Devin Sawa. Era. If <laughs> yeah, you were Casper. a 12 year old girl in 1995, my goodness, there was no one cuter. Yes. He follows me now on Twitter and I don't know how to handle that. You don't. Yeah. It makes you like immediately regress and become that 12 year old girl again you're like oh a little god. bit a little yeah. bit it's like oh my god I'm at the end of Casper we're gonna dance but you know he's 40 <laughs> and married as children yeah I'm married this is ridiculous yeah oh that is so funny no I was really glad to see it again I don't think I had seen it since the theater so this was a really good opportunity because I've been loving how even if I wasn't like 100% the biggest fan, I was loving how much everyone was embracing it because it's so cool to see that with a movie made by women and for women. I just, I get excited when that happens, no matter what the film is, it's very cool. 
Yeah. Well, and there's movies when you're making a movie about 12 year old girls, the people you want it to connect to are 12 year old girls, not 50 year old film critics. And I think a lot of the time we forget that that's who the movie's for. And if they liked it, maybe you're all wrong. Yes, I know. Let's go back in time to 1995 and be like, guys, what the hell? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have a word with my buddy Roger Ebert who I adore yes, normally. I know, exactly. Well, our final film of our Summer Adventures trio is an underrated one that I absolutely love. 2013's The Way Way Back, which was written and directed by actors Nat Faxon and Jim Rash in their directorial debuts. It's funny. This one is set in modern day, but at the same- <laughs> but it's not, <laughs> you know, right? Yes, at the same time, it's like you have Pac-Man arcade games, '80s music, and retro cars, which make it feel like it could have easily taken place in the era of the '80s and Meatballs, which it has a great deal in common with overall. And I know is a big inspiration. Reuniting Little Miss Sunshine stars Steve Carell and Tony Collette playing boyfriend girlfriend this time instead of sister brother the way way back would work well in a film festival with that movie and another great summer adventure retro movie called adventureland as well yes very much yeah Yeah, such a good one this movie centers on duncan played by liam james a 14 year old introvert who reluctantly goes on vacation for the summer to cape cod with his divorced mother played by tony collette and her asshole car salesman boyfriend, a smarmy against type Steve Carell, along with his teenage daughter, seeking and finding refuge at a local water park. Duncan gets a job there for the summer and is taken under the wing of an irrepressible, irresistible, energetic, freewheeling park manager played by Sam Rockwell and his most Bill Murray or Shaggy Dog Tom Hanks, Chevy Chase, or John Candy-esque role. He's phenomenal here, basically a one-man charm attack. But the whole cast rocks, including Anna Sophia Robb as Duncan's crush, Maya Rudolph, Amanda Peet, Allison Janney, Rob Corddry, etc. Obviously, I love it, and I'm so glad you chose it. So how about you? What's your take on The Way Way Back? It's an odd movie. I mean, like you said, the first thing you're like is like, why is this movie not set in the 80s? This movie is clearly meant to be. The only difference is they have cell phones and they don't even need them. Uh, I would love to know what the decision process on that was. Um, But it's interesting. There are big flaws in the film, I think. My biggest problem is that if you cast Toni Collette and Amanda Peet in a movie, you better give them something to do. I agree with that. Yeah, And they, they don't really have anything. Um, So it's a little underwritten in places for me, but what I love about this movie is that it really focuses in on, I use this as a reference for what lies West a lot because it is about how your parents affect you at that age and how your parents problems affect you. Oh, Um, excellent. You know, you're not just a snotty reclusive teen or whatever, because you are, you are because of the environment you're in. And, uh, you know, the juxtaposition of this is a movie where a teenage boy rebels by getting a job (laughs) (laughs) while his parents is, you know, his mom and, and her boyfriend spend the whole summer like slacking off and being drunk constantly like that is that's a hilarious juxtaposition and yeah Sam Rockwell is just I mean I love him in everything he does me too yeah he's top of his game in this he's so 
irritating and lovable. You, it's just wonderful. Um, but I just really love that this movie is really about like how your parents can ruin your life yeah. without intending to, without trying. No. Yes, it, Mean, absolutely. But how so much of your adolescence is how you respond to the trauma that's inflicted on you by your parents. Um, and it's another great summer summer movie. Like this kid isn't in school. We don't know what he's like in school. We're getting to see somebody in a blank environment where they have more choice than they normally would. Yeah, you know, on a Tuesday with what they're going to do, <laughs> um, and that's where you really get into like, who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? That I find so interesting in all of these these films. And it's so good that this was the last one we talked about because that's a theme that's carried through all of these movies, like Baby is an idealist and you know as they jokingly call her miss fix it or she wants yeah. to be and she's trying to be just like her dad who she thinks is you know the greatest person who ever lived and then in now and then they're starting to see through the perfect facade or notice their parents fighting more especially with the gabby hoffman character yeah yeah she's starting to realize um the fractures beneath yeah the it's the facade of suburbia they're kind of seeing yeah. in america for that matter it's the 60s or, or the 1970s yeah 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 and that's right in this and i agree with your point because we don't get enough of tony collette's thought process like why is she so willing to just go along with Steve Carell's horrible behavior. I mean, she's asleep at the beginning of the movie. There is just an excruciatingly uncomfortable scene that opens this film. Yeah. When he asks uh, Duncan uh, what he considers himself on a scale of one to 10. And I think Duncan says maybe like a six or, or seven. I can't remember. And um, Carell corrects him. I think you're a three. And then gives him the reasons why. And it's like Colette's character is sleeping the teenage daughter is sleeping. And so it's like understandable there. But then as the movie goes on and she starts seeing him for what he really is and she's been divorced. So she's been through that whole rigmarole before you're like, Tony, sweetie, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 definitely beneath her capacity. And I think the same thing, Amanda Peet is just drunk and slutty. Like that is her yes, entire, and it's Amanda Peet. Like she I is know. a fantastic actress. The only actress that really gets a chance to really have fun is, uh, is I, why am I, uh, Alison Janney. I want to yeah. call her CJ, uh, oh who gets God. to also be drunk and, and rude and hilarious. And she's so great at that character. She's obviously having a blast, but yeah, yeah there are parts, it's an uneven film yeah. but it has a great core story yes yeah no that's so true alice and janney rocks i love seeing the side of her uh, rather it's than... come out more and more you didn't see it yes. in her younger roles but it's like I she know. hit she hit her late 40s and was like now i have fun that's my thing yeah as she got older it's like okay i can stop playing like you know the pantsuit wearing perfectionist lady exactly and start partying basically and this movie gets that and i love that for it yeah her relationship with her son i'm sure like by oh, now this hilarious. would be very controversial but she has a son who has a lazy eye yeah. and like she is horrible to him about it, but he is also equally horrible back. And they clearly, there are definitely scenes where you can see the kid is trying very hard not to laugh. Yes. Like, yeah, it's great. Fun. They have such a weird chemistry. I know. You want a whole movie about that family, too. 
Yes. Yeah. Because they're both like angry at each other, but they love each other more than anything. I mean, you can totally tell. Yeah. That's a nice dynamic and a really weird dynamic. I also think it's fun to see um, Steve Carell play an asshole. I liked uh, when he kind of branched out and started to play um, roles that took chances a little bit. Like, Seeking a Friend at the End of the World was Mm -hmm. like a year before this. Dan in Real Life is another really good movie that he was in. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to see him not, he could have just coasted by on like um, The Office or Anchorman style like bit parts or roles where he's the, just the guy that makes you laugh. And I love that he really thought, no, I'm going to play against that. I think Carell is really interesting as an actor. He, he, I think he is a very sweet person from everything I have heard who has a deep understanding of assholes. And that's why he was so good in the office was that like, he knows, I I don't know. I think Steve Carell angry is a very powerful thing. Like in the big short as well, where he is just this like screamy (laughs) stock trader, a real estate investor guy. And like, he does, mean and scary and angry very, very, very well. And I think just naturally, he's such a sweet person. You don't expect it out of him. Yeah, that reminds me of an interview I saw once with Tina Fey, where she said, you have to be smart to be able to play dumb. And you have to be like, to do it effectively. Mm -hmm. And you have to be um, like nice or a person who actually cares about people to be able to play mean very well. Yeah, I think that's really true. Yeah. Yeah, so this was a really good one. Do you remember, did you see it in the theater? Because I totally missed it until like DVD. No, I I think I rented it. um, I mean, it had a pretty good festival run. It premiered at Sundance, I think. And I I think I rented it when it came out. And then I just watched it again two days ago because I hadn't seen it in a couple years. So I wanted to refresh my memory. And yeah, I mean, it's just such a charming, like you just want to, you want to go spend your summer with Sam Rockwell working at a, and yeah. an 80s water park I know yeah and like you said about the neighbors like that could be its own movie this could be its own movie oh yeah water park especially his dynamic with uh Maya Rudolph there's a romantic uh chemistry we're like have they dated they might have fooled around is what you're kind of getting yeah it's been on off and so it's interesting there's stuff there there's that whole like that all of those scenes reminded me of Adventureland. Yeah. Very much. Yeah, that's where it definitely crossed, which came out around the same time, right? Um, I think like 08, 09, but still within the few yeah. years. Yeah. So I wonder if they were trying to not cross too heavily with that, but there's definitely some notes that are similar. Yeah. Well, obviously there are so many great summer adventures or coming of age movies we could have discussed today, but this was a cool place to start. But before I like let you go, are there any other films you would like to recommend either that inspired you or ones you just enjoy that you think people should check out? Uh, the one that stands out to me is is a somewhat obscure film. It's Reese Witherspoon's first movie called The Man in the Moon. And it's oh, another great movie. Yeah. Another summer ad- adventure. Um about a girl growing up in the South um, and her first romance with a, a neighbor that that moves in. Um, and it's also set in the 60s. Yeah. This one, I think, was early 90s when it was made. But it's she is so powerful at that age. And it is it really embraces like the awkwardness of first love and like the intensity of it. And um, it's shot beautifully. It was directed 
and I'm losing the name, but it's the same director from To Kill a Mockingbird, which is really interesting to see. Why can I not think of the name? Is it Robert Mulligan? Robert Mulligan, yeah. yeah. So to see someone direct two really iconic movies about a young girl at the beginning of his career and at the end of his career. Oh, that's great. Is is kind of fascinating. Um, and yeah, it just, it is one of the few perfect films I uh, in my canon and and a great summer film it's it's got some tragedy in it it's not oh, all cheerful I know it's heartbreaking like watch with tissues but it's so worth it it's yeah. so good it's so good and so few people seem to know about it that's another one that you needed to be 12 at the right time I think so I remember watching that and also this one that very few people have seen called rich in love did you ever oh see that? yeah yay okay Usually when I mention it, it's just like crickets. Nobody, they're like, what yep. is she talking about? Okay, good. That's another summer romance. And there was another one, uh, 4th of July, not about growing up though. This, well, kind of a woman in her thirties, Holly Hunter, Miss Firecracker. Okay. I've heard of that. I haven't seen okay. that one. Yeah. So these are all kind of like Southern um, summery movies. Yeah, but The Man in the Moon is such a good pick. I'm so glad you brought that up. Are there any others? Now, now I'm scrambling. I don't, I, nothing comes, to, I mean, obviously Stand By Me, nothing else comes to mind. Those were all kind of my big references for making my own. Okay. <laughs> so maybe someday mine will get added to the canon. But right. uh, yeah, nothing else off the top of my head. Okay, perfect. And your movie is coming out on May 11th. May 11th. Yes. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. Is there anything else you would like to offer? Any wisdom you want to share about the first film you made as a director? Oh, just uh, be ready to work harder than you've ever worked in your life and be incredibly flexible on absolutely everything because rigidity gets you nowhere on set. Oh, that's really good. Yes. Yeah. And if you have very talented cousins, remember. Absolutely. Cast yeah. your family and hit them up for as many of their backyards as you can possibly shoot in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, were those some of their backyards? Because it was so beautiful. There were there were some. The campsite scene, um, uh, Chloe's grandparents have a little property with like an acre of land. And we shot the, the like scene where they're camping there. We also shot the scene in the back seat, the back seat of the car like in their driveway okay. we just kept showing up at their house and be like can we put this here can we do this here and like, yeah do you guys want wine like oh nice it was wonderful yeah perfect shooting conditions well Jessica this was so much fun I really appreciated you taking the time to do this and it was so great to meet you finally after loving your Twitter feed for so long oh well thank it is an you. honor to come on and thank you so much for talking to me I really appreciate it This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.